This episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Podcorn. Christian, we know life as a podcaster isn't easy. Monetizing your small independent podcast can lead to nothing but heartbreak and frustration. We didn't even know the first place to start and how to approach these companies. But then we found Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Damn it, with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. And Christian, I love their mission statement. To give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. Welcome, nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now locating gargoyles to brood over. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling, and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian. Happy Batman Eve. Or should I say the Batman Eve? Yes, the Batman Eve, Damon. <laughs> we are recording this the day before the film drops. Uh, so obviously we won't have the review for the Batman till next week. But I was kind of thinking maybe in celebration of all things Batman, we'd go ahead and count down our top five favorite Batman movie moments of all time. Christian, are you up to the task, my friend? Oh, I'm definitely game for it. All right, man, because I definitely need your e-game because there's been a lot of Batman films over the past couple decades, uh, especially if you include animation. Yeah, don't worry. I'm sure I won't say anything that won't, you know, scar the audience for the rest of time. So, <laughs> so are you telling me Bat Shark Repellent is going to probably make your list then? Oh, it's definitely an honorable mention. You know, maybe maybe Bat Nipples going to be number one, you know? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead on that note and uh, let's start off our list. Uh, we're doing this in order. Yeah, sure. OK. Are you, are you going to fancy it up with maybe some clips and stuff? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll throw in a good sound bite here and there. How about that? David? OK. OK. Let's make this countdown worthy. <laughs> the hell are you supposed to be? So I'm not going to lie. I mean, this list was incredibly hard to do because there's just so many great moments. And I mean, I was discovering a lot of them came from uh, Nolan's Dark Knight. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I made a conscious effort to kind of like spread the love like throughout the franchise and just like different aspects of it, if that makes any sense. Uh, but with all that being said, my number five pick comes from the Dark Knight and it's actually Alfred's Burma Bandit story. Bandit. He'd been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. So, I mean, the reason why I picked this moment is because, like, the emotional core of Nolan's Batman films, to me, isn't, like, the relationship between Bruce and Rachel it's really the relationship between Bruce and Alfred. I believe personally that Michael Caine is the best Alfred we've ever seen on screen. And one of the reasons why Nolan's films work so well is he was really able to capture the importance of Alfred in Batman's life. Um, you know, throughout all three films, Alfred has multiple moments where he basically is teaching Batman how to be Batman. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it was really hard to pick just one moment but I chose this speech um, because, I mean, one, it's awesome. And it's really Alfred who really helps Bruce understand what he's up against in the Joker and what it's going to take to bring him down. No, I mean, it's a great, like, setup piece for the rest of that film as well, because at 
even at that moment, Bruce really seems like he's underestimating what the Joker is capable of. Yeah. And I think that speech just is perfectly encapsulates what's going to happen throughout and the rest of the film. I'm kind of cheating here because this it actually takes place during two scenes. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah, because he finishes the story towards the end of the movie, I believe. Gotcha. So that they had to burn the forest out. Uh -huh. So. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think Michael Caine is just brilliant in this role. And I think it's a crime that he was never nominated for like a supporting actor, you know, Oscar nod. No, I mean, he was stealing scenes left and right throughout the entire trilogy. For my number five, it's going to be Party Man at Gotham Museum for uh, Batman 1989. I was in the bath one day when I realized why I was destined for greatness. You know how concerned people are about appearances. This is attractive, that is not. Well, that is all behind me. I now do what other people only dream. I make art until someone dies. Now, for some reason, like at least once a month, I think about this scene where Joker, Jack Nicholson is just bouncing down the stairs to Party Man by Prince. Like, it is just stuck with me throughout all these years. I think his performance throughout the entire film is unnerving at, at certain points, but in this scene, just the way that they're playing with the art and how he interacts with Vicky Vale in the scene and everything, just kind of plays up with just how much of an unnerving character he could be throughout their entire film. All right, so my number four pick is actually from Batman Returns. It's Batman vs. the Red Triangle Gang. So this scene is Tim Burton at his most Tim Burton. And at the time, it felt like a comic book really come to life with the visuals of Batman just taking down this insane group of circus freaks. I mean, they're armed from everything from like dynamite to machine guns to samurai swords to a fucking poodle. Like, it starts with Bruce at Wayne's Manor. We see just, like, how he gets the back signal while he's, like, at uh -huh. home chilling, <laughs> which is pretty fucking epic. And then what comes next is we get to see, you know, Batman use all his wonderful toys, you know, to take out, like, Penguin's gang. And apparently, Burden's Batman has no qualms about killing motherfuckers since he, like, straight up torches one dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly the kind of sequence that you would expect from a Tim Burton, you know, Batman film visually. And it really just like sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Batman didn't kill him. The flames did. OK, uh -huh, right. <laughs> Batman doesn't kill. Fire kills. Christian. Well, for my number four, I actually picked another scene from Batman Returns with Michelle Pfeiffer going out as Catwoman for the first time. Thanks. You make it so easy, don't you? Always waiting for some bad man to save you. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. I went back and forth between if I would pick the transformation scene or this moment, because I, I think I like this scene a little bit more just because it kind of feels like a play off of Batman proclaiming I am Batman. You know, in a way, it's kind of her way of introducing herself as Catwoman to the world. Uh, I, I mean, I do know it's a play off of I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, but at the same time, it just feels like that same type of energy. Gotcha. You, know, you get this sense of who Catwoman is based off this scene because, you know, she's not here to save you. She's, you know, in it for herself. You know, even though she's helping this woman out in this alley, she's completely unhinged and ready to, like, take out the woman as well. All right, so my number three pick comes from Batman 89, and it's Joker and Bruce Wayne's confrontation at Vicki Vale's apartment. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> So I went through a phase when I was younger for a couple of years at least where I watched Batman 89 once a week on VHS for maybe a year <laughs> or two. Um, I pretty much had the film memorized and it was really like the first movie after Star Wars and, you know, maybe Halloween that really made like a big impact on me as like, you know, a fan. 
Uh, like my wardrobe in fifth grade, like consisted of like Guns N' Roses shirts and Batman shirts. And that was it. Um, and it pretty much still does. Like who's kidding, right? Uh, but this moment in Vicky's apartment was one that like I revisited probably the most. I mean, Jack Nicholson as the Joker has this like weird sinister charm about him. Because, mm. you know, of course, so does Nicholson, who kind of just plays himself, like, no matter what the role. But, I mean, he's awesome, so it just works, right? But that, like, cold-blooded delivery of the now, like, classic, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight line? <laughs> it's just amazing. And I just love how the whole scene kind of starts with, you know, Michael Keaton going, like, full Beetlejuice with the whole, like, you know, you want to get nuts line? <laughs> Which doesn't really fit Bruce Wayne, but, like, fuck it, it's awesome regardless, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, both actors just have this, like, off-centered chemistry that really works so well together on screen and just, I don't know, just elevated the movie. Alright, for my number three, I have the Joker introducing a little anarchy when he gave Two-Face a gun at the hospital. Introduce a little anarchy upset the established order and everything becomes chaos i'm an agent of chaos oh and you know the thing about chaos it's beer so this whole hospital scene is just perfect from like start to finish. You have, you know, Harvey waking up, finding Joker dressed as a nurse in there, trying to take care of him in some form or fashion. Who knows? Joker playing on the whole concepts of, you know, what's fair in this world and stuff like that. And, you know, Harvey, you know, flipping the coin for the first time to decide someone's fate. It, it just worked so well for these two characters that we haven't really got, got to see interact in a Batman film up to that point, you know? And also how Heath Ledger like handled that explosion at the end is just amazing. So my number two pick also comes from The Dark Knight <laughs> and it's Joker's Why So Serious monologue. He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? So in the name of having some diversity film-wise on my list, I was trying to limit myself to just one Heath Ledger moment. Uh, but... Honestly, that's kind of bullshit since yeah. this is really <laughs> two different scenes. Both speeches are equally terrified and really gives us a look at like the psychosis of Joker and what makes him tick. I mean, even if neither of the stories are true, how messed up is it that he's really like mind fucking his prey before he pounces? Well, I also love that it like played into the whole like people are always looking for a reason where this character doesn't have a reason to do what he's doing. That's right, and he doesn't need one at least. Or so he says. Uh-huh. <laughs> so for my number two, I went with Mask of the Phantasm where Bruce puts on the cow for the first time in front of Alfred. That's a good pick. One of the things that Mask of the Phantasm did that really added another like level to Batman was putting in a little bit more to his origin rather than it just being, you know, hey, my parents got shot and, you know, now I'm becoming Batman. They, they showed that he had like this little, like just a little bit more hope in him for a life without being Batman. And when he lost that, he finally turned to the cow. And, you know, that scene where Alfred is like in horror seeing, you know, this boy he raised, you know, put on this mask. It's it's just chilling to watch every single time. So my number one pick might be a strange one to some, but, you know, fuck it. It's my list, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's Michael Keaton speaking the iconic words. What are you? I'm Batman. So from the moment I saw this trailer, it absolutely lit my imagination on fire. 
like I had just started reading comics and at this point on the screen we had only had like Adam West Batman and you know Super Friends representing the Cape Crusader. Mm-hmm. So the comic book fan in me definitely was craving a more serious take on the character, more in line with what we were getting on the page. And I mean, Tim Burton delivered in style, like finally giving us the Dark Knight we deserved by actually taking the source material seriously. Well, I wanted to be diverse like Damon, but I really couldn't, you know, pick only one Heath Ledger moment. So for my number one, I have Joker playing chicken with Batman in the middle of the street. So for me, with the entire Nolan trilogy, this was the moment that really stood out to me completely. Like, I, I think about it constantly. You know, it's this moment where Heath Ledger's Joker is trying to get Batman to, you know, finally break his you know vow of I won't kill anyone and be just as insane as him. Batman really trying to make, you know, Joker be afraid of him in this moment. And it has zero effect on him. You know, he's he's completely no selling it. He's just shooting at him saying, do it because he believes it's not going to happen. It was just super well executed. And I just love the moment. And in that moment, if Batman would have shot down the Joker, the Joker would have still been satisfied knowing that he made you know, yes. Batman break his moral code. I mean, the <laughs> fact that the Joker is willing to go that far really makes that moment. Now, I was totally listening to you, I promise. But like, well, while you were talking, I literally thought of like a couple honorable mentions. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I kind of almost want to redo my list. <laughs> Because I didn't include the Batman Lego movie, and I fucking love the Batman Lego mm-hmm. movie. So honorable mention to the "Who's the Batman" song sequence in the like beginning <laughs> of the film because it's yes. just magical and it really just encompasses everything that makes you know Batman Batman. And also, like you know, even though I have my issues with Dark Knight Rises, Tom Hardy's Bane deserves some love, um, especially you know the scene where he breaks Batman's back. I mean, I. I really loved him up until the ending there, uh, until he became Talia's just goon, pretty much. Mm. So many great moments he has in that film. He really was one of the best parts of a kind of messy film. Yeah, silly voice and all. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's our top five, you know, Batman film moments of all time. Uh, Maybe by next week after we see the Batman, this list might actually change. But those are just some of our personal favorites. Uh, We would love to hear your favorites, though. So go ahead and reach out to us on your favorite social media platform at Amazing Nerd Show. And also make sure to join us next week as we review the Batman. But for now, what else are we talking about in this week's episode, Damon? Well, Christian, this week we're going to review the first episode of season two of Picard. And speaking of season twos, we've got a full season review for Euphoria. Plus, I've got my first impressions of Elden Ring for you guys. And also, what was Tony Khan's big news this week? All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, to start things off, we've got more Obi-Wan Kenobi series rumors. Jason Ward of Making Star Wars brings us some hot Obi-Wan casting rumors with the latest adding fuel to the flame of the heavily speculated return of Qui-Gon Jinn, deceased master of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ward, when discussing what characters we may see in the Obi-Wan series, dropped the bomb that Qui-Gon is apparently confirmed for the show. But will Liam Neeson return in person or just as a voice? You know, is there a chance that we will see the Force Ghost of Qui-Gon? None of this information is confirmed just yet, but the prospects of Obi-Wan's master being a part of this series makes plenty of sense, especially with Episode 3 alluding to Qui-Gon surviving through the Force. I just wonder more if the series is going to show Qui-Gon teaching Obi-Wan how to transfer into being a Force ghost, or if they'll just kind of leave it more ambiguous. Jesus Christ, Christian, it's okay to keep some things a mystery. Like, we don't need 
to actually see Qui-Gon, like, teaching Obi-Wan how to become a Force ghost. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't need that in my life. Like, I mean, one, like, how do you even, like, practice that? Like, I mean, I don't know. wouldn't he have to die? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get, like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I feel like it would just be, like, him, like, meditating. I mean, I know you like to get into, like, the minutia of how everything works when it comes to, like, the Force. But, like, how about instead we get, like, an actual confrontation between Obi-Wan and, like, Qui-Gon on, like, why Qui-Gon was such a shitty fucking mentor and a horrible <laughs> Jedi. Like, how about that? You know? Because I know, like, Anakin eventually does kind of bring balance to the Force, I guess. But, I mean, maybe, just maybe, if we didn't choose to just abandon Anakin's mother and leave her as a slave on that planet, we could have gotten there without, like, you know, I don't know, Order 66 and a whole lot of fucking Jedi bloodshed. Ah, uh, but what if the twist in that conversation is that Qui-Gon believed that the Jedi did need to be, like, brought down a peg to, be, you know, create, a, you know, a, a balance between the dark side and light? So you're basically justifying the slaughter of younglings. I, I find that hard to believe that we couldn't get there some other way. Maybe if he kind of <laughs> handled the situation with kid gloves, you know? I know he gets, you know, cut down by Maul, so, you know, he couldn't, like, finish the training himself. But still, I, I don't know. I can't imagine it going any better, though, with the, the road that they went on, no matter I what. Can. There's no way. I can rescue his fucking mother from slavery <laughs> so he doesn't have all these fucking issues <laughs> that's, that's, really, him. that's really why the emperor is able to manipulate him uh -huh. right it's through his mother's death but he was still past the age where they shouldn't have trained him either way like he was that attached to his family then so either way we go about this Qui-Gon sucks right we can agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I want to hear shit about, like, the whole Jedi way and the non-attachments and whatever. It's still crappy to leave a woman in slavery. <laughs> like, what's right is right. <laughs> and what's wrong is wrong. But anyway, up next, we've got more Marvel casting news. Last Friday, Hollywood Reporter dropped the casting news of This Is Us star Lyric Ross having been added to the cast of Marvel's Ironheart. Speculation, of course, has already seeped in for who the actress might be playing in the series. One theory I've gone behind is that she could possibly be playing Natalie, Riri's next-door neighbor, who actually becomes the inspiration for Riri's AI companion with her suit. Speaking of all this casting news and rumors, we also got an update on who's playing Calypso in the Kraven the Hunter film for Sony. Looks like it won't be Taylor Page as we reported last week, but the Academy Award winning actress Ariana DeBose who won Best Supporting Actress for her role in West Side Story. And with there being tons of time still left until the Craven film comes out, we will continue to keep you up to date on all the casting news and rumors. Wait a sec, does that make it like three different actresses we've had attached to this role? Yeah. At least, you know, <laughs> rumor wise. Uh -huh. All right. Well, I'm not going to believe it until like the actress actually shows up in the trailer as Calypso. Fair enough. So also news, reportedly Brad Pitt's Plan B is producing Beetlejuice 2 with Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder attached. News came in from Ankler's Hollywood Transom newsletter this week that Brad Pitt's production company Plan B is working on a sequel to Beetlejuice. The sequel will, of course, see the return of Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder to their beloved roles, but the main person not confirmed so far is Tim Burton, though many speculate that he will still be on to direct, but really that's still completely up in the air at this time. So just recently I had my daughter watch Beetlejuice with me, and like my wife looked at me weird, like, are you sure this is safe? And I was like, oh yeah, no, it's PG. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Beetlejuice just blurts out, nice fucking bottle. And I could feel my wife's eyes burning a hole <laughs> on the side of my face as I try not to make eye contact. I mean, my stomach just sunk because I knew I was in trouble. Right. Um, I totally forgot, like, 80s PG is different than, like, 2022 PG. So, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking Temple of Doom came out, like, before this film so and i saw this <laughs> film multiple times in the theater i've seen it like throughout the years but i'm guessing i was probably watching it on like you know cable or something on like tbs uh -huh. and i just forgot about the f-bomb <laughs> i mean my daughter didn't even flinch 
Obviously, she hasn't been, like, exposed to the word that much where she realizes that it's, like, even a curse. So, I mean, she just kept on moving on. But, my God, yes. No, I got a talking to later on. <laughs> no, mind you. I mean, the whole argument's ridiculous. I mean, this is a film where people are getting their faces torn off in the beginning. So, I mean, who cares about the F-bomb, right? Like, <laughs> no, huh? <laughs> she was fine with that. It's, it's a little cursing. Whatever. But, anyway, back to the story. Like, I can't believe we've gone this long without a Beetlejuice sequel. Like, this is a cult classic film that was super popular when it came out. So, I mean, it must have been a case of Tim Burton just not wanting to do it. And I don't know if he just owns the rights outright, but I mean, that's the only way I could really fathom a studio not wanting to make, you know, a sequel to this film. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, and it's totally set up for a sequel also. Mm-hmm. You know, and it went on was... and it had like a popular like cartoon series and everything. Yeah, I was about to ask. I was like, there was a cartoon yes, series, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Lydia and Beetlejuice actually become friends. Um, there was a popular toy line also. So, I mean, it just feels like they're leaving cash on the table. So, I mean, th- this makes perfect sense. And maybe it was a case, too, of like Michael Keaton not wanting to do it, I guess. But I mean, if he's willing to put the bat suit on now. I'm sure uh-huh. he's willing to, like, you know, don the striped suit, if you will. I mean, there's tons of potential storylines, you know, with, mm-hmm. like, an older Lydia. Who knows? Maybe even, like, passing on, you know, and learning to, you know, haunt with, you know, Beetlejuice. And lastly, we've got a Twisted Metal series starring Anthony Mackie coming soon to Peacock. That's right. Your favorite video game about vehicular mayhem is getting a live action comedy TV series with Peacock. Never in a million years would I think, you know, Sweet Tooth would get a show. But like I said last week, it's 2022 and anything is possible. This chaotic series is being based off an original idea from Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who brought you films like Zombieland and Deadpool, while Cobra Kai writer Michael Jonathan Smith will be the showrunner and writer, along with being one of the executive producers. Producers. Along with Smith comes Anthony Mackie of MCU fame as Falcon and now, you know, your new Captain America is also on to executive produce and star in the series as an original take on the character John Doe as he is described in the show to be a smart-ass milkman who talks as fast as he drives with no memory of his past. John gets a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make his wish of finding a community come true, but only if he can survive an onslaught of savage vehicular combat so with that description it still leaves it open to possibly you know playing into the potentially secret agent version of john doe but time will tell as more news comes out for this series so are you telling me anthony mackie is going to be driving like a milk truck probably if they want to go crazy with it but otherwise he'd be driving like a sports car that's called roadkill from like the game wow I want to see him in a milk truck, man. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, the plot of the game is really just Death Race 2000, right? Yeah, pretty so, much. So, I mean, it, it works. <laughs> I, I could definitely see a series based on that. So, especially with, like, a fantastic character like Sweet Tooth, like, it feels like they'd just be printing money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still want Anthony Mackie to be Sweet Tooth. I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I can see that. I think he's got the chops to pull that off, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm surprised they never did like an animated series. Well, back during the height of their like, you know, popularity of the game's popularity, they were actually trying to put a movie together, but it was just stuck in development hell forever and just never came to be. I could see that because this is actually a game that I enjoyed playing and I'm by no means a gamer. That's for sure. I'm still better than you. I've watched your streams, Christian. (laughs) apparently you don't have to have skills to uh be on twitch a way to uh upsell it (laughs) (laughs) but anyway you caught a show this week huh damon that's right christian i saw the first episode of season two of picard warning spoiler alert minor spoilers for picard season two ahead you have been warned there are some moments that haunt us all our lives Moments upon which history turns. In season two, Picard and his companions are trapped in the 21st century when reality is broken by Q as part of the ultimate trial for Picard. 
They must race against time if they want to save the future of the galaxy. So overall, I thought this episode was a really solid start to the season. Um, I think maybe it was a little overstuffed, but with such a huge ensemble cast, that's to be expected. Um, they handled a lot of exposition really well, you know, getting the who's where out of the way as quickly as possible just to hit the ground running. So in classic Star Trek fashion, we start off the episode with a little bit of a mystery as we look 48 hours into the future with Picard and some of the cast from the first season um, on a ship being attacked by some kind of unseen force. With things looking bleak, Picard decides to set off the self-destruct command and after doing so, Picard comes face to face with something that stops him in his tracks. We then abruptly flash back to about 48 hours and we see Picard on Earth in, in his vineyard uh, with a new lease on life after the events of the first season. So this is followed by an awkward moment with his friend uh, Lares. Uh, they definitely have feelings for each other, but it seems like Picard's hesitant because of his relationship with her um, husband who has passed away. Then the next morning, Picard has another flashback. Uh, this time, it looks like it's from when he was a child and him and his mother first moved into the vineyard. Uh, this flashback kind of turns into a nightmare with him remembering a traumatic event uh, that looks like you know him and his mother are being attacked. Uh, it's unclear if this is actually supposed to be Picard's father, but it definitely seems like a theme this season is going to be why Picard struggles with serious relationships. So. I could see this memory possibly being at the root of that. So after this, we play a little catch up. Uh, we find out that Picard is now a chancellor at Starfleet Academy. The rest of the cast from season one are all kind of scattered about, but seemingly doing well. I won't get into too many spoilers just because I'm going to, you know, be doing a full season review, you know, after the season's over. But uh, we do discover that Rio is now a Starfleet uh, captain. Uh, him and Seven of Nine, who's off doing her own thing, both discover a space anomaly that has a message coming from it asking for help from Picard because apparently it wants to join the Federation. When Picard is brought on the ship to respond to the message, we've now come full circle and it looks like we're at the events of the beginning of the episode, if that makes any sense. What they quickly find out is the message is actually coming from the Borg. So needless to say, things go horribly wrong. Uh, but in the name of not giving away too many spoilers, um, at the end of this episode, Picard is face to face with Q, uh, and apparently in an altered reality of some sort. Uh, Q reminds him of the last thing that he said to him, which is the trial never ends. Uh, I mean, this episode covered a lot of ground, but I mean, it's all pretty exciting stuff, and it's got me really stoked for this new season of Picard. I really love the Q character and how much he loves to fuck with Picard. And as always, I'm sure, you know, this game or trial that Q's put Picard in the middle of is all going to lead to some kind of like self-exploration for Picard and you know he'll probably end up turning the tables on Q and teaching him something about humanity. Uh, the Q episodes and you know Next Generation were always amongst my favorites so I'm really looking forward to this. Honestly this season somehow kind of snuck up on me and I almost forgot how much I loved the first season. Uh, so I mean once you know it's all said and done I'll come back with a full review uh, but if you're a Star Trek fan and, you know, especially of Next Generation, definitely check out Picard. It's currently on Paramount+. Plus. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped's launch their Ultra Premium Collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist, now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. 
Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra-premium collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arms. Pits. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum free, and smells like their signature scent. It also comes with hydrating body moisturizer. Have tattoos or issues with dry skin? It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Also, it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. And they also throw in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift a three-pack set of lip balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. Right there, that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub -dub that body with the Manscaped Body Wash. Second, you gotta lather that hair up with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. Then you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com. That's right, because the power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. So Christian, you also have a review for us this week. That's right, I checked out the entirety of the second season of Euphoria. I came up with an amazing plan. And what would that be, Ruth? So are you all ready to do some business? Why can't I shake the feeling that there's something you're not telling me? You're like a relationship kind of girl, right? You guys can all judge me if you want, but I do not care. I have never, ever been happier. Oh, y'all, let's get naked right now. <laughs> Euphoria is a look at life for a group of high school students as they grapple with issues of drugs, sex, and violence. So back in our 2019 year in review, there was a show that I felt didn't quite fit our normal picks for our podcast, of course, but I still felt like I had to include it in my best of TV list because it was incredibly well handled in comparison to everything else that came out that year. Euphoria is a show that never ceases to impress me from its stellar performances to its beautiful cinematography. It was easy for me to fall in love with this gritty heightened teen drama. With season two, we get a humanized and continuation of all the characters in season one and a story told from an interesting perspective in Rue's childhood best friend that made for a great season finale. No one character is without their own deep flaws, which makes them even more enjoyable to watch as they succumb to their biggest weaknesses. Zendaya absolutely kills it in this role. Rue, for example, is far from being a good person, but you can't help but root for her even when she is making the worst possible choices. Sam Levinson does a fantastic job with the pacing of the show as everyone feels like they get the right amount of time and there are quite a bit of separate story threads at play outside of Rue's life. But I do think my biggest critique of season two is that I felt like there could have been a couple more episodes to kind of flesh out and build to the climax of Lexi's play. It just felt like there was still a lot of meat left on the table for them to explore, but with this show being so successful, it's most likely things that they're going to, you know, get into in another season. Nevertheless, Levinson did not miss with this second season and clearly left me wanting more and more. The dynamics of the interwoven stories mixed with some of the best visuals and cinematography I've seen on a show like this ever have me feeling like more of an addict than Rue, so I'm giving Euphoria Season 2 an A-. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, Elden Ring encapsulated 
all of us with its release. While From Software did run into some issues on the PC version of the game, it's still seen a lot of success from its release. Getting my own hands on the game last week, I had a good time with the start of the game. You know, the freedom to explore and try out different areas has been a really big welcome change to the Souls experience for me. Comments about you know game difficulty have been all over the internet right now and are completely varied. And I think it just really depends on people's experience with other From Software titles. Because I'm still struggling with the game, it's still difficult for me. But I will say this, this was the first time in any Souls game where I've actually beaten a side boss in one shot on my first playthrough. So is this game easier? Maybe to a, a slight degree, but that doesn't change the overall experience at all. There's so many unpredictable varying things that really keep moments completely exciting and allow players of all kinds to have extremely unique experiences with this game. You know, seeing my feed constantly flooded with different things that you can do and accomplish in this title has only shown me that I've barely scratched the surface of what's possible in Elden Ring. But if you want to join me in this journey as I discover all the new things about Elden Ring, join me live every single Saturday as we play as Din Djarin, you know, Mando from The Mandalorian in Elden Ring. But beyond that, streamwise we're going to be doing a special event next Tuesday for our PCW universe called PCW Relentless. It's going to be kind of like a pay-per-view for our show where we're going to have several big matches, world titles on the line, TV titles on the line, women's titles on the line. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. And then right after that, we're going to play WWE 2K22 for the very first time live on stream. So after that, I'll definitely give my impressions on the show if you can't tune in live, but you'll be also be able to catch the VOD whenever you want as well. Also this weekend, we should be finishing Halo Infinite, um, the campaign mode at least. So make sure you're following us on Twitch to catch our live content every Thursday through Sunday. And then of course, like I just said earlier, we'll be live this Tuesday um, with all this great WWE 2K action. So definitely tune in then as well. 17 years before that, another wrestling company started. A wrestling company known as ROH. Ring of Honor. And I've been a fan of Ring of Honor for a long time, a huge fan. So you can imagine I'm very excited because today I signed a deal. I just became the new owner of Ring of Honor. Well, Christian, after weeks of speculation and rumors, Tony Khan finally made his game-changing big announcement on Dynamite, which is he is now the sole owner of Ring of Honor. That's right, slinging around that big money to pick up another wrestling promotion. What this all means? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he did say that more details would be coming out. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, there are rumors out there that Ring of Honor will operate as kind of a developmental territory for AEW, which, if you think about it, makes perfect sense since they have such a bloated roster right now. Mm -hmm. Another big rumor that was swirling around before he made his announcement was that they could possibly have an HBO Max streaming deal uh, in the works. So, I mean... It would make sense then if that's true that he would want to purchase a company like Ring of Honor just for like 17 years worth of content that mm -hmm. he would, you know, become the owner of, uh, which would definitely help, you know, drive a streaming deal, I could imagine, especially with like a lot of those wrestlers being currently on the roster. It only makes sense that you want access to all their classic matches. And really, you could run an an ROH show on HBO Max, and you would basically be replicating the model that WWE used to have with NXT. And just like NXT, it's not as if, you know, a developmental show means that it could be less in quality. I mean, it could even possibly surpass uh, AEW at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why wrestlers like Punk or, you know, Brian Danielson can't, you know, go over for programs, mm -hmm. you know, and wrestle on Ring of Honor. And honestly... Like we said before, AEW's roster is so big, wrestlers can come and go and not be missed for a couple of weeks. Like, I don't foresee them being a touring brand. I could see them doing, like, kind of a studio show where they, like, tape a few and put it in the can, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then maybe run, like, a few specials here and there, like, you know, uh, during the weekend of, you know, AEW's, like, pay-per-views, you know, a la TakeOver, right? <laughs> exactly. 
But I mean, at this point, the HBO Max deal is still just a rumor. So we'll just have to wait and see. But regardless, I mean, compared to just a couple months ago, the outlook for Ring of Honor is definitely a whole lot brighter now. Because as a huge wrestling fan, Tony Khan has like the utmost respect, you know, for those three letters. Because I mean, Tony Khan has talked about it before. You know, when it comes to ROH, he has nothing but like the utmost respect for those three letters. And I don't see this being just a case of him wanting to, you know, grab more content just for, you know, the streaming service. I think he actually wants to do something, you know, with the company and help it thrive again. But of course, that's not the only big thing going on with AEW right now as this weekend brings us AEW Revolution. And it's definitely shaped up to be one hell of a card. I mean, we've got 11 matches if we count the two buy-in matches. That's correct. Now, I know this episode's going to drop on Saturday morning, so it's just like a day before the pay-per-view. But you know what? Fuck that, Christian. We're still going to go ahead and make our predictions for each one of these matches. <laughs> it's it's always fun for the, you know, the listener to get to know what we at least thought before we break it down next week anyway, right? Sure. <laughs> Well, all right, for our first match, at least on my list, is Jade Cargill versus Ty Conti for the AEW TBS Championship. Yeah, this is one of the only matches that feel kind of thrown together last minute. Mm. Uh, it just felt like Jade needed a contender to, you know, go up against. And Ty Conti answered that call, just like running out at the end of uh, her last match and making the challenge. I don't foresee any way Jade doesn't win this match. Um, but I do feel like it's going to be a decent quality match because Ty's really been improving in the ring. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should at least be a good challenge for Jade Cargill. I just didn't like how it started with um, having Jade beat the bunny and then the bunny, of course, interfering with Ty as soon as she got into the ring, continuing on with that, you know, aggression and feud that they've been going on for fucking months. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was probably their way of, you know, giving Ty a way out of, you know, for being laid out by Jade, mm -hmm. you know, that she was distracted by Bunny and then, you know, Jade was able to get the drop on her. But I mean, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with Ty at least be able to like, you know, chase Jade out of the ring or Jade yeah. just to kind of roll out and walk away. So she at least gets like the perception of, you know, being a worthy contender. No, exactly. But I agree with you. It's Jade all the way. <laughs> no, and you know, Jade's getting incredibly over right now. So the crowd actually kind of booed Ty when she initially came uh -huh. out and made the challenge. <laughs> so I could see a possible face turn for Jade, you know, in the cards in the near future. But all right, I got a six-man tornado tag team match between AHFO and Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting. So I guess I kind of spoke too soon because this match also feels a little thrown together <laughs> last minute. I know that Darby, Sammy, and Andrade actually all have a uh, three-way dance on uh, Rampage for the TNT title. Uh, this coming week. We're recording on Thursday, so when this episode drops, it's obviously already happened. So, But regardless of that outcome, I feel like this match on the pay-per-view is all designed for AHFO to finally, like, implode. Especially if the rumor of Jeff Hardy, like, coming into the company is true. It just makes sense that they would want to put the Hardy Boys back together. And Matt, oh, absolutely. You know, to turn face. I mean, he's been kind of walking away, you know, from the group recently. So I'm sure, you know, we're going to get another one of his, like, personalities sooner than later. And honestly, this group makes absolutely no sense together. So, <laughs> uh, but it should be a fun match regardless. I mean, are we in an agreement that Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and then Sting are going to win? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> what are they never going to give Darby Allen and Sting a chance for the tag titles? You would think at this point that they're undefeated. I don't remember them ever losing a match. No. Right. So I mean, they should, you know, at least get a title shot somewhere down the line. I mean, they they weren't part of either one of those battle royals. No. But maybe they're just kind of holding out for a heel team to be holding those belts. No, that makes sense. I mean, they are pretty much the big babyface tag team, and I can't imagine them going up against Jurassic Express. No, no, that's not going to happen unless, you know, Jurassic Express actually turns heel. But speaking of which... Yes, that's right. Jurassic Express are in a three-way tag team match for their World Tag Team Championships going up 
against Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. So I still feel like this match is convoluted as all hell. I'm not sure why <laughs> it had to be a three-way match. That was never really explained. Mm-hmm. Um, I did enjoy both Battle Royals on the, the past, you know, during the past two weeks. But it also emphasized to me the reason why Tony Khan needed to purchase ROH. Because they just have such a huge roster and half of it is made out of tag teams. But regardless, I'm looking forward to this match. Um, I don't foresee a scenario where Jurassic Express doesn't hold on to these belts. It feels like Red Dragon and the Young Bucks are just going to kind of cancel each other out. Yes. You know, I'm guessing Dragon does something to cost the Bucks the win. um, And that might lead into some hijinks during the main event which is Adam Cole versus, you know, Hangman Page, which we'll talk about later. But I also agree. Jurassic Express, I believe, will continue to hold on to the titles for a little bit longer. I don't know what team is going to take it off them, though, in the future. I don't know what heel team is, you know, up there for them. I'm hoping it's FTR, honestly. Mm. I want those guys to have more of a spotlight. And they've been teasing uh, a match between the Bucks and FTR again. And, Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous that they've only had one match you know, over the past year, you know, since FTR has arrived on the scene. So who knows? Maybe they're the ones who end up beating Jurassic Express. Um, I could also see House of Black, you know, uh, beating them for the titles. But regardless of when it happens, I do feel like Christian is going to be the one who actually costs them the belt so they can move on to Jungle Boy Christian feud. And it's weird because I don't know what his deal's been. Like, maybe he's been injured or something because he hasn't wrestled in a long time. I mean, he's been kind of just regulated to, like, a manager role at this point. But he does have a match against Ethan Page on Rampage to uh, qualify for the uh, Face of the Revolution ladder match. Hmm. So if that was the case, he's obviously healed now. I don't know who I'd put over in that one for the face of the revolution i would love to see ethan page get a win because i feel like he's earned it but i mean christian's christian and he's like the master of the ladder match so Uh i'm sure they're going to want him in there especially with the amount of young talent they have in that match kind of like being the ring general well up next we have a match to bleed together with john moxley versus brian danielson the fact that they both have this weird understanding that they're going to beat the shit out of each other with the hopes of maybe possibly joining up forces in the near future. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before in a wrestling uh-huh. <laughs> program, <laughs> but I really hope it happens because I, I love the idea of, you know, a team like consisting of like John Moxley and Brian Danielson and possibly like, you know, some younger talent that they can like, you know, tutor and take underneath their wings. I'm wondering if 2.0 is going to get involved in this match somehow, like trying to maybe take them out because they're frustrated with them. Mm. Um, And then that's how we start to see them start to work together. I could see that, like at the end of the match or something like Mm. that, they get jumped and then they kind of team up. But I mean, I guess regardless of the outcome of the match, you know they're going to go out there and try to steal the show. So I'm really mm. looking forward to like see what they put together. Uh, if I had to pick a winner, I think I'm right now I'm going with Danielson over Mox. Oh, God, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. This one's totally up in the air. I could see it going either way. Um, maybe Danielson does beat Moxley and earn his respect. And that's how they join forces. I could see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Danielson, too. So now, if they do end up teaming up, do you think they keep Danielson heel? I'm not sure. Like, I think it would be an interesting dynamic to have him stay heel. And, like, maybe that's what will eventually cause them to go go at odds later on. But I do want to see them work together for a while. Maybe so they I don't like, know. toe the line. You know, Moxley's yeah. more of the face. You know, uh, Brian Danielson's more of the heel. And they kind of have to, like, you know, they're constantly butting heads on, like, mm-hmm. you know, their approaches with the younger talent that they've, you know, taken under the their wings. I, I could see that. You know who I'd like to actually see, like, join them? Who? Hook and Layla Hirsch. Because, mm. I mean, Layla is, like, totally that, like, shooter, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like she fits. It'd be cool to have, like, you know, a female on the team. Or even, like, Serena Deeb, that that could work also. And then, like, Hook, like, he also works that kind of style. So maybe they take him on as a student, you know, away from Taz right now. I mean, Hook alone is, like, this megastar all of a sudden, so... 
Well, and then builds in a, like a quick feud with Taz as well, if you want to start off somewhere. Yeah, against Team Taz. Yeah, no, that, mm. that definitely works. Up next, we have Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston. Can Eddie Kingston get Jericho's respect and the big win for once? I just hope both of them get to cut like a little promo before the match. Honestly, because <laughs> I could just listen to those two go back and forth all day long. Mm. Um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give the win to Eddie Kingston. I you think fi- Eddie gets I, I the think, first one. Yeah, I think he I think he finally wins the big one against Jericho. And that's what turns Jericho completely heel. Like he has a complete meltdown after this. So because he's kind of teetering right now on Dynamite this week, he had an interaction with uh, Santana Ortiz where it seemed like they're on the same page again, almost. So I'm wondering if, like, after the match, they come out and he, like, attacks them or something. I think I'm going to go with Jericho. I'm going to have him cheat to win. That's how he starts his heel turn. That way you can build to more matches with Kingston as well. I could also see that happening, but it's just AEW doesn't have this history of long programs. I feel like the last, like, three or four programs Kingston's been in, he's been taking the L. So I feel like it's time for him to finally like level up. I agree. I want Kingston to win. I think Jericho is going to win, though. (laughs) I'm going to stick with it. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise, man. I'm just saying you're fucking wrong. (laughs) I mean, you have the right to your stupid opinion. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, up next, we have the face of the revolution ladder match featuring Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Stark, Wardlow, Christian Cage or Ethan Page, depending on what happens this Friday. First off, I just want to be on the record in stating that Face of the Revolution is a stupid fucking name for a gimmick match. <laughs> yeah. I, don't even, I don't even know what that means, right? <laughs> but anyway, regardless, I feel like this is probably the most heavyweights we've ever had in an AEW match, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> I mean, what you got Keith Lee, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Wardlow, Wardlow yeah. you know, all in a ladder match. Um, I love Ethan Page, and I want to see him, like, break through and, you know, become a bigger deal in AEW. But I feel like Christian Cage is probably going to end up getting the win here um, just so he can kind of direct traffic during, you know, this match. Yeah. This will only be Keith Lee's second match in the company. Um, so I'm going to pick him to win it, actually. Because otherwise, I would choose Wardlow. Um, Wardlow did have an interesting interaction with MJF on this past week's Dynamite. MJF came out and said that, you know, he decided to, you know, do Wardlow a favor now. And if he wins the TNT title, that he'll allow him to keep it. But then as MJF walked away, he, of course, said, you know, that's never going to happen. Which, you know, Wardlow took big exception to, you know, said, well, that's because I'm too busy, you know, making sure you win all the time, which MJF answered with a slap in the face. Um, Wardlow was fuming. So whereas before I felt like, you know, Wardlow winning that title would be kind of the catalyst for him turning on MJF. Now I feel like that's no longer needed at all. I mean, I still would like Wardlow to win, but... He doesn't have to now. It doesn't play into their storyline where they can just go at it at any time now. I agree. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know if Keith Lee would win. I mean, it makes sense because it's it's his first big match here in AEW. It's only his second match also. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just, I really hope he wins because, I mean, I'm tired of them, like, debuting these wrestlers and not doing anything with them for, Mm. like, weeks or months. I mean, where the fuck is Jay Lethal? For crying out loud, right? True. <laughs> he debuted last pay-per-view, and I feel like we've seen him like a handful of times. He's gearing up for Ring of Honor at this point. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and maybe that was what was behind that signing, right? I guess. Um yeah, I can't I can't picture Orange Cassidy getting the win or Ricky Starks. Um maybe Powerhouse Hobbs. I think I think you're maybe you're right. I think Keith Lee's probably the best choice here. Yeah, I just don't see it being anyone but Keith Lee or Wardlow. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have our AEW Women's World Championship match between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. But with what happened during their tag match on Dynamite with Thunder Rosa going over and getting the pin on Britt Baker, I don't know. Like It, it just feels mm. like Britt's going to end up walking away with the title still. 
you know, after this pay-per-view. And I, I really do feel like it's time for a new chapter, though. Uh, and for, like, you know, Thunder Rosa to get that ball and, you know, be able to run with it. Because um, I feel like just her title reign is just getting a little stale at this point. And so much more you can do with Brit chasing after the belt. But, I mean, just like you said, a, a, a big victory on television right before your uh-huh. pay-per-view event. That I mean, that's that writing is, on the wall right is, there. That is the wrestling formula, right? <laughs> <laughs> Give them a little heat <laughs> before uh-huh. they take the big L. Uh, I mean, I'd be down for Thunder Rosa to win. But right now, especially with how the you know program's been going throughout this month, you know, with all the like things with like Cobra Kai and stuff like that showing up, I feel like Britt Baker is going to do at least something to cheat to win by the end of this match. You might be right, but honestly, like I hope not, just because I I don't know who our next challenger is. Like they haven't done enough to build anyone else up except for maybe Jade. But I mean, she's too busy like defending the TBS title. You know, unless like the way she cheats. Is so egregious that, you know, Thunder Rosa gets that rematch, but it just breaks mm-hmm. away from Tony's formula. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with Thunder Rosa still, you know, even though it flies in the face of convention. Uh, and I don't know, hope that she actually walks away with the title. Could Mercedes Martinez go up against Burbank? She could, but I mean, they're not really doing anything to really build her up at this moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, Tony has signed someone else to come in as a contender, but I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, up next in what has been pretty much angle of the year so far, CM Punk versus MJF. So this program over the last like three weeks has really like hit in its groove. Everything from like MGF throwing us a curveball, coming out, you know, cutting this passionate baby face like promo, you know, giving us the reason why he's the way he is uh, to, you know, this past week with Punk coming out and, you know, really burying his soul and being honest and asking whether or not he's actually the bad guy, you know, not doing your typical rah-rah <laughs> babyface kind of promo uh, uh, and really just, like, stunning the crowd into, like, silence, um, you know, and then MJF, you know, of course, coming out and, you know, duping Punk into, like, believing just for a split second that, you know, he's being sincere, just long enough for Punk to finally drop his defenses and take a fucking nut shot from the MGF. Um, you know, and then just a bloodbath ensued with, you know, the Pinnacle coming out and busting Punk wide open, uh, hanging him with the dog collar until the baby faces can run out and save the day. I mean, it was just a pitch perfect go home like segment for this program. And I can't wait for this match. I mean, there is a lot riding on it with how well they've put this story together. But I feel like if any two wrestlers can handle it, I, I trust MJF and CM Punk to be able to put on, especially like a match, like a dog collar match between these two. It, it doesn't have to be as technical when they're just beating the hell out of each other with <laughs> with chain. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'm so. I've been going back and forth on who I thought was going to win this match. At first, I thought MJF was going to walk away with the win. Um, But now, after seeing what happened with Wardlow, my Mm -hmm. guess is this is where you finally get the Wardlow turn. Um, You know, he comes out. It looks like he's going to help MJF out. And, you know, he ends up turning on MJF. Um, costing him the match potentially and then they can go right into their feud you know together i don't think it will really hurt mjf's momentum he got technically two wins over punk in chicago so Mm. you know that's bragging rights enough for him you know to you know live off of for you know years to come so you know I, i think they'll both be fine either way so i'm gonna go ahead and predict that CM Punk is actually going to walk away with the win here. No, I agree. I think, um, you know, I don't know how much inter- outside interference there probably will be. I imagine um, Sean Spears is going to be getting involved with the chair and all that shit. And I feel like Wardlow will bring a stop to him as well. I feel like Wardlow is going to be the de- definitely the deciding factor in all this, depending on if Sting and Darby Allen have some involvement. But I doubt that they'll 
make it that much Gaga. At least I hope they wouldn't go the Cody Rhodes route with this match. But I mean, regardless of the outcome, this definitely has potential to be, you know, the match of the night. Well, in our main event, it's going to be Hangman Adam Page, your world heavyweight champion going up against Adam Cole. So I'm looking forward to this match. I I feel like there's no way Cole is going to walk away with the title here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too early for Page. No, I agree. And just with all the drama going on between Red Dragon and the Young Bucks, it just feels like that's going to somehow play a part in this match. Like maybe Red Dragon comes out to get involved and the Bucks end up stopping them. And, you know, that ends up, you know, costing Cole the match somehow. At some point, yeah, the tag teams are going to get involved. And I think that's what's going to set up your six man, you know, events, whatever happens coming up on the shows. I just hope it. You know, trios titles are somewhere down the road. Somewhere, please. The question is going to be whether or not it's like Hangman and the Bucks, you know, teaming together, uh, having a reunion of sort against, you know, the Undisputed Era. But yeah, as far as this match goes, I mean, as, as excited as I am to see these two go at it at this big pay-per-view event, and I think Adam Cole is definitely, you know, in the right position right now to be at the top and all that stuff. It's it's way too early for you know Paige to lose the title right now. I feel like they gotta build someone up to become you know the big heel that takes it off of them at some point. Yeah, and not I, not right now. And I feel like that's gonna end up being MJF. You know, yeah. I don't think Kingman you know loses that title to anyone but MJF. But yeah, that's our predictions. If you have any of your own, make sure you let us know on social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show. But other than that, that does it for this week. Yeah, join us next week as we review AEW's Revolution. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, the time has finally come. We will be reviewing The Batman. And of course, we'll be talking AEW's Revolution. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Yeah, this. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get.